0: Good morning, today's reading is from the book of First Corinthians, chapter 9, from verse 19 to 23. And is this going to come up with my scriptures? Okay, then I'll follow this one. I'm going to read from my tablet. It will be New King James Version, but I'm going to read from the screen, which is New International Version. Therefore, I am free, belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I may save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings."
1: Good morning. Can you hear me? All right, good. It's good to be here this morning. It's kind of a strange morning, I guess, as uh, many people have heard already, but maybe for those who are just going to be listening to the sermon only, we've had a water main break in the area and we have no water in the building, so uh, we've got a skeleton crew here just making this service happen, uh, which I'm thankful for. Um, so I wanted to start out this morning by telling you guys a little bit about my summer, uh, or at least my, the fall, I guess. Uh, Alicia and I, about a month ago, we had the privilege of going on a, a backpacking trip on the Manterio Trail. And for those of you who haven't heard of it, the Manterio Trail is, uh, is located on the eastern border of Manitoba, and as the name would suggest, it also crosses into Ontario for a little bit. Uh, Alicia and I have done this trip a couple of times already. And we've always wanted to take some friends along with us, but couldn't really find anybody brave enough to do it. But thankfully, this year um, we somehow convinced uh, Kyle and Laurel to come along with us. Uh, Actually, it was pretty easy to convince them. But I wasn't—I'm not 100% sure if they really knew what they were getting into when they when they said yes. Um, The hike is about uh, 64 kilometers in total, and um, we—it goes—it goes goes through some pretty challenging. canadian shield terrain as you can see in some of these pictures here Uh, and so we decided to do it over four days Uh, we took one rest day in the middle so we were out for five days Um, we were very fortunate to hit the time of year just right when all the fall colors came out and uh, as you can see from some of these pictures the views were just breathtaking on the trail and it was an amazing experience with some really amazing people that i won't soon forget um As most of you probably know, I I really love hiking, backpacking, just being outside in general. And so it's a lot of fun for me to share pictures like this and stories with people when I talk about backpacking or hiking. I, I don't ever have to force the conversation or feel like it's awkward or weird to talk about because it's something that I really enjoy talking about. And I think we all have things like this in our life, don't we? Things that we're passionate about and things that we like to talk about with other people. And when we share those things with other people, for the most part, it's just a natural part of a natural conversation, and people don't really mind hearing about it. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, there's no reason that it needs to be any different. So why does it seem so hard at times for us? We all want to share the gospel in a way that feels natural and comfortable, kind of like we might share another thing that we're passionate about in our lives, maybe like, like backpacking, for instance. But we often struggle to do it effectively. And so for that reason we're going to spend some time exploring this concept more this morning. Uh, as many of you know, we're in the in the month of October we're doing a sermon series focused on the harvest fields. Uh, Jesus tells us in John four thirty five that the fields are ripe for harvest, and he wasn't talking about wheat and barley, right? He was talking about human souls and saving human souls. The day that Jesus spoke those words, they were true, and they're still just as true for us today. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the harvest fields of our our community and our neighborhood. And to help us with that, we're going to be working through the text from 1 Corinthians 9 that Billy just read for us. And I think I think the goal today is to talk about some practical steps that will help us be all in for sharing the gospel. Um, as many of you know, um, sorry, that's not what I meant to say. Uh, there's a few reasons that I chose all in for sharing the gospel. But maybe the first of, of those reasons was to point out that uh, that we are all in this together. This is a work that we've all been given. It's not just for the elders. It's not just for the deacons. It's not just for the, the preachers or the serious Christians. <laughs> uh, Jesus calls us to be all in this together. It's It's something that we all are called to do. But even though we're all called to do it, we need to be honest and, and admit that it is hard for most of us, right? You know what I mean. It's, it's tough. Like You want to go and share Christ with your neighbors and the people in your community, but you don't just want to go knock on their front door and freak them out, right? Um, we don't want to scare people away by saying the wrong thing or, or doing the wrong thing. And so sometimes, if we're being honest, uh, we just don't really do anything. But thankfully, God doesn't just drop this responsibility in our laps and then leave us to figure it out. He He helps us a lot, and the Bible has a lot to say with how we can improve in this area. And so this morning, we're going to explore that concept more in the text. Um, so here it is again, what Billy read. Uh, looking at the text here, I want to explore three ideas that I believe will help us all to work towards this goal of getting better at spreading the gospel in our communities. The first thing I want to explore is this here. In verse 23, we see that Paul is motivated to share the good news because he wants other people to experience the same blessings that he enjoys. That's his motivation. And then in verses 20 to 22, he, Paul lists this, these several groups of people that he's trying to reach. And so I think we're going we're to focus in on this for a while too and see that Paul was determined to create opportunities where he could share the gospel with the people around him. It's a very important attitude. And the third thing I want to focus on this morning is here, what we see at the end of verse 22, is that Paul was focused on how he could help others, not the other way around. He wanted to have his relationship be impactful to the other people, and it wasn't about what what was in it for him. He wanted his faith to be attractive as well. He wanted his faith to be attractive to those around him so that they would also desire this thing that he had found. So those are the three points this morning that I want to focus on. And so just to summarize them here uh, on one slide, we're going to talk about building a desire for sharing the gospel. We're going to talk about creating opportunities in our lives to do that and then also uh, to live out our faith in a way that's attractive and draws people to Jesus. So let's begin. Uh the first thing I want to talk about is what uh, what, what Paul says here in verse 23, I, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. We already talked about how Jesus tells us all to share the gospel, right? But how do we do it? One way is to think about it as a task or an item to check off of our list. So we just suck it up, we get out there, you talk to some people, tell them about Jesus, and when they reject it, well, at least we can say we tried. And I think there's many reasons that that's not a good strategy. But I think if um, we're looking at sharing the gospel as this sort of dreaded chore that we have to do and we have to get out there and take care of, then I think first, before anything else, we need to take some time to do a bit of soul searching for ourselves. The work of sharing the gospel is not, first and foremost, a task or a chore. I mean, to be sure, we are commanded to do it, but can you think of an example in the Bible where someone shared Jesus with a frown on their face? If you approach it that way, people are going to perceive the whole experience as strange, and that would be the best thing that could happen probably. Uh, how can you be grumpy or scared or or mad or bitter about sharing good news? It's, it just doesn't make any sense, right? So our motivation to share the gospel should be a natural response uh, to discovering just a tremendous joy for ourselves and a tremendous blessing and an opportunity that we want to share with others paul was motivated to share in this way because he really understood the value of what christ meant to him in his life and he wanted that for other people as well the scriptures give us so many examples of how valuable jesus is to us uh, and i just wanted to touch on one of them this is one of my favorites it comes from first peter and just listen to all the amazing benefits we have in this, in this section here, uh, due to our relationship with Christ. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Wow. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of troubles. These have come that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold. Our faith is greater worth than gold. Uh, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Uh, For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, this is just packed full of incredible things that we have because of what Jesus has done the relationship that we have with God through Christ, and what we have to look forward to. And and I mean, if you're somebody who struggles with this idea of being excited to share the gospel, I recommend sitting with a scripture like this one for a couple hours. I mean, seriously, just read through it. Think about it. Pray about it. Meditate on what it actually means to your life. You know, our faith is not an abstract theological argument. It's personal, and it's amazing. And it affects everything in our life. And we really need to get that into our hearts. We need to believe it first and we need to be excited about it. We get excited about things when we understand their true value. And there is so much value in knowing Jesus. With Him, we've gone from death to life. We had nothing before Jesus and now we have everything. And if this excitement and joy hasn't taken a hold of you yet, the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning is something you can focus on later. I think first you really need to get this at the foundation and the root of everything that you do. So if you're struggling with this, like I said, meditate on a passage like this, or there's many others in Scripture, um, and get that into your heart. And if you need help with that, uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. When we get excited about something, I think we naturally want to share it. But in order to share it, we need to connect with other people, right? And in order to do that, we need to create opportunities uh, to be around other people. And so I, I love the text here because we see that is exactly what's going on with Paul. And I'm just going to kind of quickly uh, fly through this. He said, To the Jews I became like a Jew. To those under the law I became like one under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, and I have become all things to all people. So at first, this language might seem a little bit confusing to us. I mean, what's he talking about here, about becoming like everybody? Uh, but to the parents among us, the parents who are listening to this, I think you guys have an advantage in understanding what Paul's talking about here. I know for the most part that parents strive to be good role models for their kids. You want your children to grow up to know God. You want them to grow up to be responsible, to be loving, um, to make good decisions, you know, all that stuff. And so one thing you need to do in order to make an impact on your children's lives is to be around them. And so you do a lot of things to create opportunities for these times of bonding and learning to occur between you and your children. And I'm sure there's many parents here who've danced around the kitchen in their homes uh, with their kids or maybe they crawl around in the backyard picking up bugs or building sandcastles or whatever. And I'm sure that you've learned a, a bunch of words to a whole bunch of kids' songs you never thought you would ever have to know uh, just so you could sing along with your kids, right? So what's the point of doing all that? These are kids' activities, right? They're not adult activities, so why would an adult do them? Well, I know maybe those kids' songs are pretty fun sometimes, but um, if we're being honest, the real reason that we become like our children, if we want to use the same language as Paul, we become like our children is so that we can be in our children's lives. We want to be an influence on them, so we become like them. And we're willing to do whatever it takes, and even verbatim quoting Peppa Pig, if that's what it takes, we're going to do anything uh, to get into our kids' lives and make sure that that's happening. And so I think I think it's the same thing here with Paul. If he's around the Jews, he's going to do whatever he can to influence the Jews. And if he's around people not under the Jewish law, he's going to do the same thing, and so on and so on. The whole point is that he's not focused on himself and what he's getting out of these relationships. Instead, he's focusing on the other person and how he can help them to be blessed by knowing Jesus in the same way that he's blessed by knowing Jesus. And, the motive, and this is the, really the motivation, I think, that we all need to have with our friends and our neighbors as well. You know, people are people, not projects. I think I've said that before. Uh, but it's, I think we have to keep that in our minds. Our relation with, our relationships with people, even in our communities, it needs to be genuine. If we start pursuing people, uh, our friends and neighbors, or our neighbors in our community, so that we can make ourselves feel good, like we did the, the good Christian thing, uh, then we're just using people for our own gain. And that's, that's not right. There's no love in that. Uh, Paul's motivation was to share the blessings he had experienced with those around him. That's what he wanted to do. He really wanted other people to experience these blessings. And I think that has to be our motivation too. So just to quickly recap of where we're at so far, if we're going to do a better job at reaching our community, uh, we have to start by building a desire to share. It has to, it has to be there. And once we've got that desire, the next thing we need to do is to put ourselves in the situations where we can share with the people around us. Uh, we should never view the people who are not a part of our congregation or, or not Christians as, as the bad guys, the dangerous bad people that we need to stay away from and protect ourselves from. These are people. You know, they're people just like we are people. and uh, And they just don't know Jesus yet. And so that's where we can come in and help them. And we really need to focus on that, I think. Um, we're here to help those people, and at the risk of being blunt, I mean, let, I want to put it this way. I guess it's necessary, and I would say it's even required for us to get outside of our comfort zones. Uh, so get out of the church building, like I said no preacher ever, right? <laughs> but seriously, I mean, maybe if I didn't know there was a water main break today, I would said I would say you guys are doing a great job. But but get out of the church building, uh, get out of your home. Go out into your community, go to the coffee shop, go to the rink, um, um, you know, go to the gym, wherever, and just meet people. Develop relationships with people that you don't know. You know, if we can learn how to sing Baby Shark to bring ourselves closer to our kids, then surely we can take up a hobby in our community to bring ourselves closer to the people around us, right? So that's the groundwork. Uh, that's the foundation of the pyramid here, if you if like to use that term. Um, that's how we prepare our hearts and our environment to give us opportunities to share the gospel, the good news. Uh, but just because we have an opportunity to do it doesn't mean that we're going to be effective at it. Paul didn't just go to the people in, that he described there in the passage. He went to them and he made an effort to relate to them. He tried to earn their respect uh, by all possible means, he said. And, in, and in, uh, he did this by living out his faith. He really lived it out. You could go to that park in your neighborhood with a loudspeaker or something and just share the gospel. And I mean, some people have done that. But I think this text here that we're studying this morning is pointing out that there is a more effective way. Uh, and the brilliant thing that our text points out is what I tried to sort of summarize here on this slide, is that there is an element of sharing the gospel that involves our words and there's also an element that involves how we live our lives. And in order to really reach people and be effective at it, both of these elements have to be present and they both have to be consistent with each other. I think Paul understood this, but he knew that the message was like he knew that his message was powerful, but he also knew that if it, if people were going to accept it for themselves, they needed to see something that they were attracted to. They needed to see a reason to respect his faith before they could really accept what he had to say. Uh, Jesus promised us, right, that, that people would reject our message. But we don't want to make it easier for them to do that by having a poor approach. Uh, we live out our faith. Uh, when we live out our faith, uh, we are attractive. And we have to live out our faith as Christians. But what is the best approach of doing that? What can we do to make ourselves attractive to the non-Christians around us or or make our faith attractive to the non-Christians around us? I'm going to do something a little bit different with the rest of our time here this morning. Um, I want to share a little bit about my story. I'm going to talk about some of the qualities that really stood out to me from three people in my life who influenced me a lot in my decision to follow Christ. And to make it interesting, I've decided to give... These people aliases during the time that I'm describing them. Uh, but don't worry, I plan to reveal who they really are at the end of the sermon. And I've cleared it with them, so I'm not throwing them under the bus or anything. Um, and so the three people I want to talk about are Mary and Philip and Barnabas. We pointed out earlier that Paul became all things to all people so that by all means he might save some, Right. Uh, Paul was a master at sharing the gospel, not only because of his words, but like we mentioned, because his words were backed up by a faith that was attractive to other people. When Paul spent time with people, it became obvious to them that, uh, that his faith was real. And people were willing to hear his message because of that. And in much the same way, Mary and Philip and Barnabas, who I'm about to talk about, they earned my respect as well. Um, and their faith became attractive to me. And I want to talk about three qualities that, that they exhibited and showed to me in my life that really attracted me uh, to the Christian faith. So first, I want to talk about the fact that Mary adored Christ. I found that to be quite attractive. Um, I found out that Philip's faith was legit, legitimate. And I found that to be quite attractive as well. And, and finally, that Barnabas showed unconditional love. So let me first introduce you to Mary. And we read about Mary in Luke 10, 38 to 42. This is what it says here. And as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I had a Mary in my life as well. And just like this Mary from Scripture, my Mary was also enamored with Jesus. She adored him, and to be honest, as a non-Christian at the time, I found it really annoying. Uh, But over time, even though my frustrations didn't really go away, I gained respect for Mary's faith. The reason I gained respect for her faith wasn't because I necessarily agreed with her, but because I just couldn't get her to shake it. And and believe me, I tried. (laughs) I would have conversations with her where I would ask things like, you know, why don't you give up on this thing? Or, what would have to happen for you to stop believing in Jesus? I'd even give her case scenarios. I'd say, what if this happened? Would you stop believing in God then? I'll never forget one of her responses to this. She told me that if the awful thing that I was describing did happen, she wouldn't lose her faith, but actually it would make her faith stronger because going through hard times often pulled her closer to Jesus. I remember thinking, seriously? What's wrong with you? But in the back of my mind, I was beginning to realize that there was a real infatuation here and that this woman truly did adore Jesus. It was a part of who she was, and as much as I hated it on one hand, I began to respect it on the other hand. And over time, it made me curious about why this thing was so important to her. You know, to this day, Mary's example has actually given me a new appreciation for, or a greater appreciation for this verse from 1 Peter. Uh, where Peter says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, revering Christ as Lord. And he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, you know, in the story about Mary, as I'm sure many of you know, that the other main character in that story is Martha, her sister. Uh, and Martha is trying to pull Mary away from Jesus to get her to help with the preparations in the house so they can host, right? Um, well, in, in my story, I was Martha. I was the Martha in, in my relationship with Mary. I wasn't trying to pull Mary away to do the dishes, but I was trying to pull her away nonetheless. I wanted her to leave Jesus behind because I just saw her adoration of Jesus as an annoyance and an obstacle. I always thought I could succeed, I thought that I could help her to see that there were other things to do and that she just needed to leave this Jesus alone for a while, but yet she always returned to his feet. And I just couldn't figure it out. Peter says to always be ready to give an answer about your faith. And as I reflect on my relationship with Mary, I realize that giving an answer doesn't necessarily mean that you have to give a biblical argument or a scientific reason for why you believe what you believe. In some cases, that can be effective. But honestly, for me, the most effective thing that Mary did was just to adore Jesus with her life. And when I say adoration, I mean it was plain to see that she had something in her life that meant so much to her that it affected everything that she did. It meant so much that she was just utterly unwilling to give it up. And I began to wonder if there was something about this Jesus character that I should investigate for myself. So that was Mary. Uh, the next person who influenced me a lot was Philip, as I said, and, and I want to introduce you to Philip here in first, John four. first uh, sorry, John 1: 43 to 46. This is what it says. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, "Follow me." Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses talked about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So the Philip that I knew before I became a Christian, camera right now, but I guess that's okay. Hopefully the words are more meaningful than my face. Um, let me back up and I'll start with Philip again because I i do don't—I think I cut out right at the start of when I was talking about Philip. Um, the Philip that I knew before I became a Christian is the same kind of guy that the Philip is here. Do you want me to move back? I'm getting conflicting signals, but... All right, I'm going to keep going here until somebody tells me to move. Uh, this Philip had a legitimate faith, I think is what I'm trying to say. And to sum it up, you could tell his faith was legitimate because it affected every area of his life and it permeated into everything that he did. It took a while for me to figure this out, though. Um, I mean, at first I thought he was just putting on a show when I was around because I was the, the non-Christian guy, and I thought, well, he's just trying to impress me and make me feel like I need to be a Christian too. But the more time I, I spent with Philip, the more stories I heard about Philip, and the more things that I saw Philip doing, um, that, that he was doing for God when nobody was watching, the more I began to realize that his faith was real, and I began to respect him for it. And again, just like with Mary, I didn't necessarily do that because I agreed with everything that he said or believed, but because of the way that he lived out his faith. And it was attractive to me because it was real. To Philip, following Jesus wasn't just a social club that he attended on Sundays so that he could make, him feel, he could make himself feel like a good person. He did it because it was something that he had committed his whole life to. And it showed. It showed. In this story about Philip and and Nathaniel, I am definitely Nathaniel. In a metaphorical sense, Philip kept running up to me over and over and telling me that he had found this amazing person named Jesus, and there was me, maybe not out loud, but in my head thinking, you're crazy, man. There's nothing good that can come out of this thing that you're telling me about. But the more time I spent with Philip, the more strongly I believed his message that his faith was putting out there. And I finally started to believe that I needed to come and see for myself. And so just like with Mary, it wasn't that Philip gave me some impressive biblical argument. For me, the more attractive thing that Philip did, the thing that I really grew to respect about him was just how real his faith was and and how to him Jesus had really impacted every area of his life. His faith was legit, and he loved it. And that was something that was attractive to me as a non-believer. Uh, legitimate faith is attractive and in a lot of ways it's contagious it reminds me of what paul said about timothy's faith in second uh, timothy one verse five he said i'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother lois and in your mother eunice and i'm persuaded now also lives in you timothy got his faith from his mom And his mom got his faith from his grandma, and I I don't think it got passed down to Timothy because his mom and his grandma were super strict and they wanted to force him to believe everything they believed. The passage says that their faith got passed along because it was sincere or legitimate. And there's something about their example in Timothy's life that made uh, made him go, yeah, you know what? I can see that this is real for my mom, and it's affecting every area of her life. And it's happening in a really good way. And there's something in there that I want for myself as well. And that's what I saw in Philip. And I think that's what others need to see in us as well. So the third and final person I want to introduce you to is Barnabas. And we read about Barnabas in Acts 9, 26 and 27. It says there, When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him before the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. The first time that I uh, met Barnabas was when I walked into the old church building on Confusion Corner. I remember Barnabas coming up to me. Not knowing me from Adam and giving me one of the warmest handshakes I think I'd ever received. And I'm from the country and I'm used to warm handshakes. Um, Anyway, I thought it was kind of strange because I didn't know this guy at all. And I thought to myself, you know what, this is probably the typical church thing that they do when they greet visitors. You know, they act really nice to them and hope that they'll come back again. But when this guy finds out that I'm not a church-going type, he'll probably just stop being so nice to me. But I was wrong. Uh, When we started dating, I would come along with Alicia to worship services from time to time. I never really hated it, but I didn't really enjoy it either. I just sort of went to be with her. Yet every time I came out, and no matter how long it had been since the last time I came out, there was Barnabas, ready and waiting to greet me with his typical warm handshake and a smile. And I thought to myself, I think this guy actually cares about me, even though we don't know each other. And so in some ways, after a while, I actually began to look forward to walking into the church building on Sunday just to see Barnabas. I began to talk to him a bit after service, and we eventually struck up a relationship. There was never really anything amazing or deep about our conversations, but yet I respected Barnabas because I could tell that he cared about me. And that his care for me was unconditional. That was the thing that, that really attracted me to it. it. It wasn't dependent on whether or not I believed what he believed or if I lived the way that he lived. He was just there every time I showed up on Sunday to shake my hand and let me know that he was happy to see me. And in this story, of course, I was Saul. As many know, Saul started out as being a big enemy to the followers of Jesus, but eventually uh, he, he became a Christian himself. And when he did, as we just read there, most of the people didn't want to give him a chance. They knew him as the bad guy, you know, the guy you probably want to avoid, stay away from him. But not everybody. Here was Barnabas, the one who saw the value in Saul, despite the fact that the other disciples were too afraid to include him. Barnabas was the one who stood up for Saul and gave him a chance. In the Bible account and in my story as well, Barnabas's actions were really just quite simple, but they demonstrated a powerful display of unconditional love. And this story makes me think about what Jesus said what happened during the Judgment Day in Matthew 25, when he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I wasn't in prison, and you came to visit me. As Christians, we need to be like Barnabas. We need to be the people in our community who show that kind of unconditional love to those around us. When I met Barnabas, it wasn't anything fancy. it was just a warm greeting. But the powerful thing about it, and the thing that stood out to me was that it was real, and it was unconditional. He had a real love for me even though there was nothing in it for him. He had a love for me even if it didn't agree with, even if I didn't agree with his beliefs. And that's the kind of love that causes people to think. That's the kind of love that draws people in to try and discover the source of where that love is coming from. And so now it's time for me to reveal who the people really are. Um, they deserve to be honored for their faith in Christ. But that's not really the reason I'm sharing their names. I want to reveal who they are uh, to help us to see that we have role models in our midst. And I also wanted to share their names to, to really make this a practical lesson for us. Because there are real, uh, there are real things that we can really do. Pe- things that people in this congregation are really doing uh, that really do draw people to Christ. And, and I, I can attest to that. If we want to go all in for sharing the gospel in our community, then we need to have an attractive faith. We've talked about three important qualities here this morning that we can demonstrate with our faith to show that we are all in, that our faith is real and that we are living it out. There are certainly more than these three qualities, but these are the three that really had an impact on me. Our faith can be attractive to others when we adore Jesus like Mary did. My Mary was my wonderful girlfriend, who I am blessed to have made my wife, Alicia McMillan. There was much that I didn't really love about her faith when our relationship began, but her adoration for Jesus and her unshakable desire to sit at his feet, despite my efforts to get her to leave and do other things, it caused me to really think and reconsider who this Jesus person was. Next, we need to have a legitimate faith if we want it to be attractive. Legitimate like Philip's. And my, my Philip was Chad Soler. His faith was and is legit. It permeates every area of his life, and it's clear that, it's clear to everybody that he is genuinely excited about serving Christ. Uh, people can put on a show in their life for a while, but if they don't really believe something, eventually it's going to come out. But with Chad, that wasn't the case, and I learned that from him over the years as our relationship continued to grow. Uh, The example he set with his life attracted me to the faith, his faith, and it caused me to believe that this was something that I also needed to come and see for myself, uh, in the words of Philip there from the account we read. Uh, So finally, we can make our faith attractive by showing unconditional love towards the people in our neighborhood and our community. Barnabas showed me that kind of love, and my Barnabas was Wes Johnson. I didn't think anything of his warm welcome at the time when when he was first talking to me, but the longer it went on, the more I realized that he actually cared about me, and I began to open my mind to the idea that Christians are not just a bunch of stuffy rule followers, but people who had love for others, and even the people who weren't like them. This world needs to see more examples like that because examples like that are attractive and they cause people to lean in. So I I hope that we've learned some things today that will help us reach out to our community and our neighborhood. If we want to be effective at sharing the gospel, we first need to get excited about sharing it. If you're struggling with that, maybe the best place to start is to meditate on what your relationship with Christ means to you. What has it done for your life? Go to the scriptures and and meditate on those things. Once you're excited about the gospel, the next thing you need to do is create opportunities for sharing it by getting out of your comfort zone, going into our community and being around the people who are there. The only way to do this is to just get out and do it. We can't stay in our comfort zones all the time or hang out with Christians all the time and expect to have opportunities to share. We actually have to go and seek them out. The next thing that we need to learn from the example in 1 Corinthians 9 is that we, we have to be all in for sharing the gospel by truly living out our faith. This is probably the part that's going to make the biggest uh, difference in the impact we can have and the effectiveness of our sharing with others. When we live out our faith in the presence of non-believers, there will be something in, a, in us that is attractive to them. We need to share our faith with words to be sure. But those words will carry so much more weight to the people around us when they can see how Jesus has changed our lives for the better. Uh, Three of the things that impacted me the most with people living out their faith when I was a non-Christian were people that lived with a true adoration for Christ, people that had a legitimate faith, and people who showed unconditional love, the type of love uh, that makes people feel like they're worth something and that they're valued. So we've covered a lot of ground here this morning. Um, Maybe you're feeling convicted because, you know, you're just not as excited about the gospel as you should be. Or maybe you are excited about it, but you're just not sure how to get out there and and actually share it with people. Or maybe you're getting out there, but you're just finding that the message you're sharing is not attractive. Trust me when I say that this is a struggle. This is not easy stuff to do. And I'm by no means an expert with it, but I would love to talk to you more about any of these things. So it's so critical for us to share the gospel because only Jesus has the power to save. And maybe you're listening to this this morning and, and you've never even heard of what the gospel is and you're, you're wondering why people make such a big deal about the gospel and who this Jesus is in the first place. And if that's you, please come and talk to me about that as well. Uh, We're going to end with a song here right away that's called Instruments of Peace. Uh, This song is a beautiful song, and it's also actually a prayer to God at the same time. Uh, In the song, we're reminding ourselves of those who are lost, and we're asking God to help us to have the strength to overcome everything that's holding us back so that we can reach those who need to know about Jesus. So if you're able, please let's stand together and, and finish with this song. Thank you for your time.